0: The Thief of Childhood. When we experience nature's amazing beauty, we feel in awe of its healing benefits. Doug Gibson, Na- The Nature Collective. Good morning or afternoon, and thank you for listening. This is Stuart Grower, and I'm the founder of several schools, including, since 1991, the Grower School. And I'm also coming out today in this talk as The Thief of Childhood. The Grauer School is in Encinitas, California, and we're fairly unique among college prep schools in that we grade not only tests and quizzes, but equally the achievement of values like engagement and courage. We encourage activism. In nationwide surveys of student engagement, our students have consistently ranked in the 99th percentile in health-related areas such as connectedness, belongingness, engagement, and sense of safety. So that's what we value. While developing our school I dedicated 40% of our campus to a wildlife and native habitat corridor and every class spends substantial time outdoors. Our access to Grauer Endowment Fund discounts hundreds of thousands of tuition dollars each year so we can include deserving kids of diverse backgrounds, a connection to health and wellness I hope you'll see by the end of this talk. Working with teens every day for four plus decades, I've seen pain and troubles, agonies and ecstasies of all kinds, some deep and painful, many joyful. Two books of mine have been published telling stories about some of the painful, joyful lessons teachers are learning around the world. And I've brought some to give away to people. I've just returned from the Andes Mountains with my students, studying the indigenous Yakchaks or Shamans, which has further informed my thoughts on this topic. I appreciate your listening to this material. It can be overwhelming and alarming, at least the first part of it, but the point is to be realistic as we provide a way forward for health and well-being of our youths and our world. These days, I've been troubled by some of the toughest decision-making in my life as an educator of teens. Working with teens poses a never-ending assortment of challenges, but new dilemmas are moving up to the top of my list. I believe our local and global ecosystems are at grave risk. Facts like this. According to NOAA, microplastics, small plastic pieces harmful to our aquatic life, have filled in gigantic sinks in the sea. And we have no idea what impact this will have on life. And this is set to triple in the next 10 years. The debates about environmental disasters just keep queuing up. But this is not the specific issue that has troubled me. A consensus of scientists whose findings you can only disregard if you play ostrich are predicting that by the end of the century, 50% of the world's species may be extinct. According to a new study in the journal Science that scientists call staggering, we have a net loss of almost 3 billion breeding birds in the US and Canada since 1970. Worse still, we as teachers have mostly sat around and watched this happen and done little or nothing, myself included. It feels like habitat loss, pollution, and overpopulation are like TV shows we watch with our kids passively from the rooms where we sit, and teens today are spending more time than ever in their rooms and not outdoors, as though they're hiding as entertainment becomes the province of the digital screen and the chair. But no, these are not the big troubles I'm talking about today with you as a teacher. The trouble, the real trouble I have today, stems from the fact that I have always treated my role as an educator as value-free. The teacher probes students. The students consider all perspectives on the issue. The teachers provide the sanctioned curriculum materials it's the SOPs. Some of that worked for me for many years. I've always felt that students need space to grow up politics free in their own times. And so the trouble is that I am aware of all these looming undeniable debates about where our planet might be heading. And I know I can no longer abide by the passive non-judgmental role as an educator. I can no longer ignore the overwhelming findings of climate chaos, go about my merry business as usual or pretend all this is the purview of increasingly toxic political squabbles far from the ivory tower or the classroom where my students are safe and sound. I've been struggling with the prospect of weighing my students down with heavy, heavy global issues. The extracurricular matters for existential despair. They're kids. I want them to have an innocent childhood. I want them to shag fly balls in sunny, slow time, to have a hopeless crushes. I don't want to hit them with the threat of devastated biomes, the extinctions, the hundreds of millions of refugees fleeing uninhabitable lands presided over by desperate governments. We may see in the coming decades threats which my generation and those around it helped bring about and have not yet done much about. And so my real trouble is not climate change. It is that I don't want to steal childhood from my students. I don't want to be the thief of childhood. These are devastating findings coming in almost daily like body blows to the spirits of innocent trusting children and based upon enough scientific consensus to heed. And I have stood on the sidelines watching it happen, delivering the curriculum. What are the risks of the passive business-as-usual behavior many of us are taking? Research notes that if a climate crisis escalates, we could anticipate various mental health impacts. Recent studies indicate a significant increase in suicides related directly to temperature increases as well as long-term negative impacts on cognitive functioning from exposure to air pollution. Higher rates of individual and group violence have also been associated with increases in temperature. There is science and stakes on all sides of the climate change issue, so the issue has become just as political as it is ecological. Even for many children whose homes are sheltered from significant climate change impacts, just the polemics surrounding these viewpoints produces a toxicity that infiltrates the lives of virtually all of our kids. As talking heads slug it out, our children become the victims. What is the impact on young minds and spirits? Jonathan Franz threatened in The New Yorker, if you're under 30, You're all but guaranteed to witness the radical destabilization of life on Earth. Massive crop failures, apocalyptic fires, imploding economies, epic flooding. The U.S. Global Change Research Project also notes that children are the most at-risk population. Children are particularly at risk for distress, anxiety, and other mental health effects such as depression, clinginess, aggressiveness, and social withdrawal. More children than adults show prolonged PTSD symptoms after a disaster. In children, stress from climate impacts can cause changes in behavior, development, memory, executive function, decision-making, and scholastic achievement. My own takeaway is that, after all, Maybe I'm not the thief of childhood. Maybe we all are, our investors, our corporations, our president, all of us who purchase tropical oils and single-use plastics, all thieves of childhood. Anyone who watches from the sidelines, doesn't read the labels, and does not encourage action is the thief of childhood. The Psychiatric Times notes that there is not much literature on youths yet, but this is a breaking field. Dr. David Pollack writes, the mental health consequences are vast, pervasive, and require attention, understanding, education, and commitment to effectively identify, treat, and prevent. The iron law of climate change is, the less you did to cause it, the more you feel its effects. Some of that injustice is intergenerational. Those who poured the most carbon into the air may be dead before its effects are fully felt. That's why the leadership of this movement looks the way it does. People from frontline communities, indigenous people, and the young people we teach in our schools today who are walking out of class on strike or claiming they will never have children. For millions of invisible indigenous peoples whose native lands are lost, who labor on barren remains of rainforests, the modern manifestations of colonization, the sense of kith, is a myth. And for their children, half a billion of them who will have no schooling, laboring in factories producing cheap disposable synthetics two steps from the landfill before they even hit the bargain stores. Childhood is just a forgotten dream. According to Gray, young people feel less in control of their lives than in any other point in recent history. The internal-external locus of control scale developed by Rotter in the 1950s determines whether people believe they mostly control what happens to them, internal locus of control, or whether it is external forces. Between 1960 and 2002, children and college students felt they were losing their agency. In, 19, in 2018, a report by the American Psychological Association showed nearly half of teenagers surveyed said they were more worried than they were the year before. Given a grave risks, I've wondered long and hard about how much of the truth about the possible devastation we can weigh our own students down with, and this has become my research question. I've been looking into the eyes of my high school students and wondering, how much can they handle? There's already a well-documented anxiety epidemic. Some of our children, both here in the West and in other worlds, aren't afraid to express powerful emotions such as anger, frustration, and grief. And I want to consider a new research hypothesis. Is it through the exploration and acceptance of their wilder emotions that children will come to thrive? Anjali B. is a grade 9 student at the Grauer School, and here's what she told me. What worries me about the future is the condition of the environment and planet, the animals and natural creations. I get deep anxiety and will spend time crying in my room because I'm scared for the planet. This has nothing to do with what our school has taught, Angeli. News of climate change right now is permeating for kids, like a subliminal tape purring through our pillow all night long as we sleep. Even among students who do not read the news, the messaging is ubiquitous, spooling into their subconsciousness an inescapable subtext in conversations, music, the written world, and all over the world. From urban industrial centers to the suburban beach cities of California to the indigenous in the Altiplano where I traveled with my students. All week, high in the Andes of Ecuador, the Chechua patiently taught us. To the indigenous, native plants are medicine. Only a fool would damage or disreplace replace them. But of course, this has happened on a scale our ancestors could never have dreamed of. At high altitude in the elements, I witnessed my own high school students immerse into the reality of a vanishing world. I witnessed a vulnerability I had never before fathomed. I witnessed passion and catharsis among them. And now I know what to tell Anjali. Since they stand to lose the most from our action or inaction on climate change, it is to the indigenous and to the youth we owe the truth. Just a few days before we arrived in the Altiplano, the voice of the 17-year-old Helena Gualinga reached out from the Ecuadorian Amazon, where where she is confronting recent fires and increasing deforestation. Her work focuses on advocacy for indigenous people and youth. Quote, by protecting indigenous people's rights, we protect billions of acres of land from exploitation, she protested on Instagram, where she has 7,000 followers, mostly youth. I grew up with a constant fear, quote, when I would go to my home community and dream that it wouldn't exist anymore she said, answering fear with action. The reality of climate change can be debated to kingdom come, but the impact it is having on our youths is undeniable, immediate, and in some cases catastrophic. This impact is being felt throughout the world. Where did I ever get the idea that I could keep it out of the curriculum, unburdening it? It is time. It is time for student activists and artists to be empowered, for action to be welcomed as a fundamental aspect of coming of age and preparing to lead in the next generation. I asked a junior class student about this. That is, were we going to steal her childhood, weigh her down? Could her generation handle this? She looked in my eye and said, easy as cake. Yes, sure, I should not have been surprised. These are the same students who took to the streets in the aftermath of the Parkland shootings to advocate for their right to be safe against gun violence in their own schools. These are the students who will awaken to the reality of their victimization and only through this awakening, not be anxious and depressed. One teacher said to me, this is all surrounding them. They need to feel there is something they can do about all this and not feel helpless. We are surrounded by wisdom of youths and will not succeed without it. What can we do to help teens facing these health risks? Psychologists are now telling us people who have higher perceived environmental self-efficacy are more motivated to act on climate solutions. Recently, Psychological research by the U.S. Global Change Program revealed two points. One, people who are actively involved in climate change adaptation or mitigation actions experience health and well-being benefits. Two, engagement addresses both the threat itself and helps manage people's emotional responses. In other words, when children have a sense of being able to positively engage in climate and or political solutions, they are more likely to curb anxiety, stress, and other mental illnesses. Dr. Lisa Van Sustern, a psychologist and founder of the Climate Psychiatry Alliance says, taking action could be an empowering antidote to fear. Collective action has mental health benefits. The time for action is here. This summer of 2019, I took my troubles to our school board of trustees, and in a far-sighted governance move, every one of them agreed it was time for action. We passed a joint faculty board of trustees climate change resolution. At Grauer, in all courses of study, we are finding study and internship opportunities focused around the environment, sustainability, farming, and conservation. We now have a student officer for sustainability and increasing student activism that we encourage as students stand up to today's crazy political landscape. At the Grauer School, as is custom, students petitioned the administration for a climate walkout event rather than just walking out. But the student leader, Talia Miracle, a junior, informed me, we're going to do it whether the petition passes or not. Right on, Talia. Another Grauer student testified before City Hall. Bring it. As a teacher of teens, watching as the current epidemic of depression has evolved, I know what depression means. It means I have no control over my life. It means my life is not mine to control. It means victimization. The only way out is empowerment and the highest form of education, taking action. The way out of all this is student voice. I know the curriculum in almost every college preparatory course is already impacted and should take a year and a half to cover half well. Broad and evidence-based sets of curricula are essential for all levels of efficacious schooling. The kids easily understand the connections between the climate change issue and health or how they can learn about it. Data show that climate and health related arguments Uh, motivate positive action. Saying I have no space in the curriculum to cover compelling truths with our students is no different than our school's investment broker who tried to claim we must not shift our investment to social and environmentally conscious funds because it is the policy of his firm to maximize profit. Time and money are the thieves of childhood. Eco-anxiety, and eco-grief will be growing diagnoses. People with eco-anxiety will watch the impacts of climate change and experience perceptions of loss, helplessness and frustration if they feel they can't make any difference. Building resilience and agency are the keys and that is the responsibility of every teacher in school and school board member and curriculum designer in the country. It is time for every real teacher to One, cultivate active coping and self-regulation skills as a part of the curriculum. Two, maintain practices that promote sense of place. There is no truer essence for teaching and schooling than creating a strong unique culture and sense of community and ecosystem in and out of class. Three, understand our new role in nurturing and teacher activism as a basic skill. My student, Anjali B says, I hope everyone does their part soon. I try to be conscious of decisions that can affect the planet, like conserving energy. What Anjali seems to intuitively sense is that her hopes are a direct benefit to mental health. Research shows adolescents who physically commute have lower levels of perceived stress, increased cardiovascular fitness, improved cognitive performance, and higher academic achievement. Two, just being in green spaces diminishes stress. Three, clean energy reduces health burdens. Children exposed to higher levels of pollution show more attention problems, anxiety and depression, and lower academic performance and brain function. It is time to get out of the chair. We've all heard of sitting disease. A growing body of research shows that people who spend time outside in sunny, green, and natural spaces tend to be happier and healthier than those who don't. A 2015 study from Stanford, for example, found that young adults who walked for an hour through parkland were less anxious afterward and performed better on a test of working memory than if they had strolled along a busy street. Even posters and videos of nature have this impact. At Grower, we are live-streaming natural environments daily in various indoor locations around campus. Furthermore, every teacher has to ask, are my students talking about things we cover in class when they are outside of class, as a new nationwide panorama survey of student voice out of Harvard-esque students and teachers? It has to be real. There has to be a connection. The awakening for me as a teacher is that climate is not the issue. The issue is to empower students in reclaiming the connection and sensitivity to the environment that development, technology, urbanization, and politics have stolen from childhood. The issue is creating spaces where our children and students can take action, express passion and artistry, and be heard with civility. The great climate strikes that are taking place around the world have root in the efforts of junior high and high school students who are insisting not only on climate action but upon their own efficacy, their own sense of empowerment and agency, and their own mental health. Our children and future generations depend on us to act meaningfully and that means teaching them honestly and fearlessly and listening a whole lot more deeply, understanding that our authentic connection will be basic to healthy schools and communities. Today's and tomorrow's healthiest students will be those who are deeply aware in a truly hopeful way of the connections between people around the planet even if they can't grasp the maelstrom of science now being generated they will understand the stakes and this is the understanding that will draw them together students around the world are watching and responding to one another's calls to action they are communicating and connecting with one another in spite of society's perceptions of their age and inexperience perhaps because of it and now for the first time since the colonial days, there is no first or third world on an issue. We all share the planetary alert. In my imagination and perhaps soon in real life, Talia from our beach town, in, town school and Helena from the Andes are working hand in hand Both are coming to see the hidden links between indigenous rights, U.S. teen shopping, and the air they both breathe. Wellness for them, both, means they will not succumb to the allures and pressures of consumption and profit, but will be driven more more by worthy shared purposes. This is mental health. This is the magic connection. Thank the heavens for that. Those kids will be less prone to the dark or mentally ill sides of environmentalism, most likely to protect more likely to protect the places they love and to make them inclusive for many years. I've been taking students on survival trips and ecological immersions where they sleep under the stars or in rural villages, villages sometimes at the guidance of locals or indigenous who have everything at stake. I've gone through hunting licensing classes with my high school students and set out into the hills bow hunting with them, not normal prep school behavior, and swum with whale sharks with them. Out there in our at-risk earth, everything the experts are telling us about what our kids will need in the coming world is obvious and manifest. A mindset ready for adversity and adaptation, an ethos of self-care, a sense of ecology, a spirit of connection with others, and the larger world. What we can see in those connected times in nature is why the enormous sacrifices necessary to overcome our addictions to plastic, energy production, fast foods, sweatshop clothing, ego, and to the taking of pristine natural spaces are worth it. The thief of childhood is not the one who shields the truth from children, but rather deprives them of the voice and passion they need to take charge of their lives or of their connection with the natural world. Nothing is more central to every major spiritual tradition than the simple concept that everything is connected. Every child is part of a biosphere. This is sustainable health. The teen spirit comes alive in nature and arts. The human mind body separateness dissolves. And in those times and places, it is easy for our youth to see why we all matter. Thank you.